know I brought up too many things, but I feel like that's kind of how I roll. Um, so let's start off with a prayer. <laughs> All right. Father, thank you for meeting us here today. I feel like I start every prayer like that, but I mean it. Um, I pr- I'm just uh, so moved. I'm marked and I'm moved by your goodness. And although it sounds like a trope to say God is good all the time, it's the truth. And the more that we live it out, Father, may it become just written in our heart, just a firm foundation from which we can live from, that you are good, you are good, you are good. You're better than we imagined. The best we could think of, you're better than that. So, Father, help us to etch that into our hearts. Father, I pray that the words I speak are the words that you want me to speak. I pray for your presence to be felt in this uh, in this place today as we move on. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, I want to start off with something that's not in my notes at all. Uh, distractions, because this morning was a little bit distracting. And I remember when I was a kid... Working in the, uh, working with the kids, at my, <laughs> my beginning church, Berean Baptist. I learned really quickly that working with the kids was like a really good distraction. Like if I didn't want to be in the main service or something, like, oh I can help with the kids. Oh I, oh no the kids need me. <laughs> I want to be around you know, and I just want to encourage you. That there will, as we know, there are always going to be distractions, always. Like they especially in this uh, technology world. Like there's always like text messages coming through, stuff coming, you know, there's always something coming at us and it's our job to fight through that. And I just want to encourage you to, in those times where you're like, no, I'm going to pray, I'm going to get up this morning. This has happened to me every time I've, cho- I've tried to get up and start praying. My kids go crazy. Every time. And I could let that be a distraction I could say, well, I guess I'm just not going to pray today. Or we can choose to fight through it. And I just want to encourage you to find the ways that the Lord is calling you to fight through to get to him. That's all I wanted to say. Okie dokie. So, (laughs) I'm going to be talking about unity this morning. Unity in the church. I feel like that's kind of been, I've spoken on this in other ways, but it's really important. It's important that we kind of move as one, <laughs> one thing, right? That's what the Lord has called us to. I actually want to start with, yeah, look, I already have way too many things. Okay. We're going to start in Ephesians 4, 3, which I should have had this all out. Yeah, Ephesians 4, 3, the, the third, ch- or the fourth chapter of Ephesians Verse 3, Ephesians 4. (laughs) It's in the New Testament. All right. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. I'm going to keep going. There is one body and one Spirit. Everyone say one. Just as you were called to be one hope when, uh, when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Didn't we just, there's something about that we just did. 
it's important. This is like one of those foundational things as Christians that we are to be one. And I know for me, I can hear like, we're all supposed to be one. And I can think we're all supposed to look the same and do the same and talk the same and have the same beliefs and vote the same way and and go to these same places. That's not the truth. (laughs) Because we're all, he made us all so different. We are all so different. And I would be a really lousy Miko. I've tried. I'd be a really lousy Miko. (laughs) There's only one of him. Thank God. (laughs) (laughs) Though we may have cloned him, I'm afraid. (laughs) But our job, I remember there's a quote by Judy Garland. It's like, always be a first-rate version of yourself instead of a second-rate version of someone else. We got to be ourselves, right? Unity doesn't mean uniform. Uh, my brother, I think it's in here. I'm just going to be going up and down, whatever. It doesn't matter. Um, I don't know if you guys know, my brother is a rapper. And in that, I, I like to say he's a poet, too. So he has a song that I actually was on. I, I'm so honored. Um, but the chorus is unified, not uniform. You and I on one accord. Been designed to not conform. We're the bride of the risen Lord. And that's that exemplifies this verse to me right? There's one body, one spirit, just you were called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. One. So sometimes, let's see, how do I want to start this? Let's go to Acts 23. And just for some context, this is when Paul, he's in some deep water here. (laughs) And this is not his first rodeo. Like, he's been in trouble here for preaching the word and, you know, all of that. So I'm, let's see, I'm going to actually start with uh, chapter 22, verse 10, just because it gives a little background here. The next day, since the commander wanted to find out exactly why Paul was being accused by the Jews, he released him and ordered the chief priests and all the Sanhedrin to assemble. It's like the group of the Sanhedrin's, like the group of priests, and, you know, it's like this. I, I don't even know what you would, um, yeah, like the, the leaders. Oh, 22, uh, 30 is where I'm going and then going into 23 here. Then he brought Paul and had him stand before them. All right, so picture Paul. He's in front of all the priestly people, right? It might be. I I would probably feel a little bit scared. Yet, uh, chapter 23, Paul looks straight at the Sanhedrin. Uh, Pause there. He looks straight at them. This reminds me of the verse uh, when uh, Peter had... uh, denied Christ three times. And by the third time, it says, like, and then Jesus looked at him. Like, it was this confidence, like, you know what you just did, right? And this is kind of the same feeling I'm getting. Like, Paul is confident. He's like, I know I'm right. I know I'm innocent. I'm looking straight at you. Full confidence. All right, uh, so Paul looked straight at the Sanhedrin and said, My brothers, I have fulfilled my duty to God in all good conscience to this day. 
At this, the high priest Ananias ordered those standing near Paul to strike him on the mouth. Then Paul said to him, God will strike you, you whitewash wall, which I like. I like his hard-hitting insult there. Um, it's, kind of, it's a throwback to Jesus when he was talking to the Pharisees and called them uh, whitewashed tombs. You know, where a tomb is a dead, stinky, disintegrating body, but a really nice outside. Looks great. So I whitewash wall. It's dirty behind there. You're not fooling anybody. He's, he continues, you sit there to judge me according to the law, yet you yourself violate the law by commanding that I be struck. Those who were standing near Paul said, you dare to insult God's high priest? Verse 5, Paul says, Paul replied, brothers, I did not realize that he was the high priest, for it is written, do not speak evil about the ruler of your people. Which I appreciate that too. That's a, uh, another callback to the Old Testament. Knowing It's another sign of his... Um, background. He was a Pharisee. He knew the word. He was well-versed. And again, kind of like Jesus, he's pulling it back. You know, he's like, I know my word and I'm, I'm abiding by it. I didn't realize, you know, I didn't realize, I didn't know. The other thing I was struck by, he was quick to apologize and to move, you know. He, to me, he was, he was justified in calling them a whitewash wall. But, <laughs> He, he did offend, he offended them, right? That was against the law. So he was quick to say, I didn't, that's not my intent. I would never do that. All right, verse six. Then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees. I'm gonna actually pause there to break down Pharisees and Sadducees because these are words that I've heard forever and I know, but I didn't know. So I researched it a little bit. The Pharisees believed in the resurrection. They had a lot of traditions. Start at nine o'clock, I wear this, I say this, I walk in three steps, I do this, da, 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 right? They believed in the written law. The Sadducees did not believe in the resurrection. They did believe in the written law, so that those two things are um, the same between the two of them. And the Sadducees also believed there were no angels or spirits, okay? That gives a little bit of background here. So starting at verse 6, then Paul, knowing that some of them were Sadducees and the others Pharisees, called out in the Sanhedrin, my brothers, I am a Pharisee, the son of a Pharisee. I stand on trial because of my hope in the resurrection of the dead, which caused a little stir, right? Because he's, he's basically saying he's, he knows that the Sadducees are like, there's no resurrection, and you notice the Pharisees are like, that's correct, you know. Yes, there is a resurrection, all right? Verse 7, when he said this, a dispute broke out between the Pharisees and the Sadducees, and the assembly was divided. The Sadducees say that there is no resurrection and that there are neither angels nor spirits, but the Pharisees acknowledge them all, all right? Verse 9, there was a great uproar, and some of the teachers of the law who were Pharisees stood up and argued vigorously. We find nothing wrong with this man, they said. What if a spirit or an angel has spoken to him? Which was a buzz topic, right? Because the Sadducees were like, no spirits, no angels. Okay. Okay, verse 10. The dispute became so violent that the commander was afraid Paul would be torn to pieces by them. He ordered the troops to go down and take him away from them by force and bring him into the barracks. 
So I'm going to pause there. There was a dispute over a difference of opinions, right, between these two groups. <laughs> and to me reading it, I'm like, that's a minor dispute. Okay, you don't believe in angels? Oh, okay. That's okay. Right? But before that, they were all, before Paul spoke, they, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were all together. Let's kill them. Let's kill them. They were unified, right? But what was their, um, what was the connecting factor to them being unified? Killing Paul. They agreed that they wanted to kill Paul. It's agreement. I'll tell you right now, agreement is the weakest form of unity. It's too easy to break down. It's like, it reminds me of friends in high school. You know, you're like, oh yeah, we like going to this thing. Yeah, we go to this pizza place. <laughs> I don't know. We always went to Taco Bell, so maybe I should say Taco Bell. Let's go to Taco Bell, you know? And we all agree to go to Taco Bell. And then if someone says, no, I want to go to Wendy's, like that may cause like a, it's that's stupid. I'm using something stupid, but this is what happens in life. You know, you think you're friends with someone or you, th you know, well, we're moving as a unit, yes. And then you disagree on something that doesn't even matter. Something that doesn't even matter. That look, the d dispute became so violent over the resurrection and over angels. The commander was afraid Paul would, would be torn to pieces. Like, that's pretty intense. How intense does it have to be that you're like, he's going to get killed, but not in a good way. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, I guess so. Not in the way that they intended, I guess. That's what I mean. <laughs> so then I'm thinking, you know, so agreement is not a great form, uh, you know, that's not a good foundation for unity. So then I'm thinking, what is a good, like, how do we get unified? <laughs> how does that happen? So I'm looking at, you know, God the Father, God the Son, Holy Spirit, right? They're unified. And yet they are completely different. They are completely different. They interact completely different. They uh, are completely different. God was never a man. God through Jesus was a man. Holy Spirit never walked the earth. You know? They're all completely different. And I was thinking, you know, I could be a fly on the wall with a conversation with the three of them, you know. It's like, what keeps them together? Trust, right? They all trust in each other because they're, I mean, I may be thinking too hard about this, but they all submit to each other. Maybe that's a better way to say it. They all submit to each other. Yeah. Um, I'm going to run to 1 Corinthians tw uh, 12, 12, which you don't have to go there if you don't want. I'll just read it. Wait, is that the right one? 1 Corinthians. Sorry, I said the wrong part. Uh, 1 Corinthians 3, 11. 
All right, verse 11. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, right? So then I'm thinking, okay, that, if that's the foundation, and, and truly, it's the foundation for everything, but it's especially the foundation for unity. You can't break that. Like, go ahead and try. You can't break that foundation. You can build on it, <laughs> you know? But I just, I see the church get lost in unity over disagreements that don't matter. If someone's saying, you know, I'm trying to think of something blasphemous, you know, but the, we got to keep the main thing the main thing, that Christ is the foundation. How many of you guys have gotten, uh, <laughs> had a friend or something that's like, I can't listen to this music, it's sinful, and you can't listen to it either because it's sinful? If you have a conviction over something, you stand in that conviction. But don't let that cause a disagreement. That's, don't let that cause a division. Don't let, don't let that be a crack where, you know, the enemy can have a foothold to divide. Because you're like, well, that person doesn't like me. Do you know what music they listen to? I can't associate with them. Do you know what it's doing to them? Yeah, I was thinking another example, or, you know, that I see in the church is people fighting over theology. That's not essential. So I was thinking of an example of, like, perhaps an evangelical will be like, there's no gifts for today. And charismatics will say, yeah, there is. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter. If you believe it, walk it. Do it. Don't try to... Let let them let the Lord work in their life. But don't let that be a division where you're like, they can't hear from the Lord right because I, I get the shivers and I get like we said, <laughs> I can feel him. I can really feel him and they can't really feel him. You don't know that. Don't let that cause a split. We have one enemy here. We have one enemy, and it's certainly not our brothers and sisters, all right? Yeah. Yeah. I want to back up in Acts to verse 9, because how many of you know Paul was Saul, right, before he had an encounter with the Lord that changed everything? He was a Pharisee, as we've already said. So he, he knew all the stuff. He knew the walk, knew the talk, right? But he was ugly. He was living ugly on the inside. So I love verse 9, ver uh, sorry, chapter 9, verse 1. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. I, I just love that first, I guess it's just the first part. That really spoke to me. So you know, I know we're kind of like playing time travel here, but <laughs> he's holding these totally, um, these two conflicting lifestyles, really. 
that he, <laughs> that he's breathing out these murderous threats with his mouth. He's letting his mouth go, and his inside is so ugly. Mm. Matthew 6.24 says you can't serve two masters. You got to choose. You got you to gotta make the choice that Christ is your foundation. You can choose other stuff too, but here's the thing. If you want to live in unity, you, got, you have to choose that Christ is the foundation because it cannot be cracked. It cannot be severed. We need an encounter from the Lord. Like Miko said earlier, we need an encounter, not an experience. We don't need a tickle. <laughs> Sometimes we get one, but we need an encounter where we're changed. Where we say, I'm doing wrong. I'm acting ugly. Lord, help me. I don't want to say death to others. And say, oh, no, but I'm a good little Christian. I'm going to post my little... No, I won't go there. I won't go there. Um, <laughs> But we have to watch what we are putting out and, and seeing what's inside. Because it's really easy. How many of you know it's real easy when someone's like, how are you doing? Oh, I'm good. I'm so good. Yeah, life's good. Yeah. Meanwhile, like your marriage is falling apart or, you know, you can't pay your bills or, you know. You're not living right, as, as it were. <laughs> You're shacking up. No. Um, but, <laughs> but we have to make sure that it, that is, um, they are synced up, right? What we're saying, what we're doing. I just want to see the church unified. I've seen, I mean, y'all already know the last three years with the church has been a little bit of rough waters, Right? And there's been a lot of, well, you believe this, I believe this, and now I can't associate with you, whatever. But we have got to come back to Christ being the foundation. We have to come back to it because there's nothing else we can build on. You know, what's the song when we were kids, uh, you know, about building up the, the house on the sand? There you go. <laughs> but it's true. We can try to build on other stuff. Like, he'll, he's, God is good. He'll, he's like, you know what? You want to do it? Do it. And, and the proof is in the pudding. Like, just let time prove it out. It won't last. Nothing will last. There won't be true unity. There won't be true growth unless Christ is that foundation, that cornerstone. To be... To, to walk in unity as a church, it requires an intentionality and a game plan. <laughs> so a game plan, you know, like we're in a, in a huddle. Christ is the foundation. <laughs> this is what we need to be telling, telling each other. Christ is the foundation. He's it. He's, he's, without him, we have nothing. We are nothing. We can't go, you know, in our huddle. We can't go in a, in a, in a, as a unit without him. Just like the man on the uh, building on the sand, it'll just crumble. It'll just crumble. I don't want to crumble. 
I don't want this church to crumble. I don't want the, the greater Big C church to crumble. Like, the world needs us. It's broken. It's hurting. And a lot of the world has already come to um, the knowledge that what they do, the drugs, the sex, the whatever, does not fill them. It's temporary. They need, they, there's a longing in all of us that we know there's something more, right? And it just grieves me when I see the church not, not being a good witness, but it's, it goes to being, it's that unity. It's because we get caught in the weeds of you got to do X, Y, Z, Pharisee, blah, blah, you know, all these things that we have to do. Instead of coming back to Christ, it's Christ. It's an encounter with Christ. So when we're not walking in unity and we're disagreeing about this, that, or the other, let's see where that may lead us. I'm going to hop back over to Acts 23, uh, chapter, starting at chapter 12. So after, uh, oh, sorry, starting at, uh, I'm so sorry. Chapter 23, verse 11, okay? So this is right when Paul has been taken away because they think they're going to tear him to pieces. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, Take courage. As you have testified about me in Jerusalem, you must also testify in Rome. Right? Okay, so verse 12. The next morning, the Jews formed a conspiracy and bound themselves with an oath not to eat or drink until they had killed Paul. All over this disagreement. So let's go through the timeline. Unified. Pharisees and Sadducees, unified. There's a crack that Paul sees and takes advantage of and, and causes dissension, right? So now they're apart. Now they're fighting. Violence, right? Now they get, they get so fixed on this and so upset that they said, I'm not gonna eat or drink till he's dead. Like that's intense. That's an intense amount of like anger and, and like uh, dissension. I'm not going to eat or drink till he's dead. Uh, Verse 13, more than 40 men were involved in this plot. They went to the chief priests and elders and said, we have taken a solemn oath not to eat anything until we have killed Paul. Now then, you and the Sanhedrin, uh, sorry, petitioned the commander to bring him before you on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about this case. We are ready to kill him before he gets here. So they're so gung-ho, ready to kill him over a disagreement, okay? Uh, Verse 16, but when the son of Paul's sister, his nephew, heard this plot, he went into the barracks and told Paul. Then Paul called one of the centurions and said, take this young man to the commander. He has something to tell him. So he took him to the commander. The centurion said, Paul, the prisoner, sent for me and asked me to bring this young man to you because he has something to tell you. The commander took the young man by the hand, drew him aside, and asked, What is it you want to tell me? 
He said, the Jews have agreed to ask you to bring Paul before the Sanhedrin tomorrow on the pretext of wanting more accurate information about him. Don't give it to them because more than 40 of them are waiting in ambush for him. They have taken an oath not to eat or drink until they have killed him. They are ready now, waiting for your consent to their, their request. The commander dismissed the young man and cautioned him, don't tell anyone that you have reported this to me. And that just struck me. There had such, the, uh, Paul was in such danger that you know, his nephew heard about it, went and told the commander. And at that point, things were so, things were so ripe and everyone was so ready to act on emotion and, and, and anger that the commander's like, don't tell anyone you came here. Like, we have to, this is now a delicate situation we have to get out of. We have to be even more <laughs> cautious. And I have to admit, sometimes when I see this disunity in the church, <laughs> you know, you have the disagreement, people are, emotions are high, you know, and the situation, it's like the emotion takes over, and, and there's not a delicateness and even a prayerfulness to like, Lord, okay, we're, we're in a bit of a pickle, like, how do we get out of this? And my prayer is that we never get to a pickle so deep that there's 40 men taking an oath not to eat or drink until someone's killed. And I know, you know, stuff like that doesn't really happen, but you see similar things where people are, are speaking death. And I'm, they may not be saying I want to kill them, but they're saying I want to kill them, you know. I won't get into that. So I feel like we need to, as a church, we need to walk into this tension of <laughs> keeping, trying, uh, looking towards unity, walking as a unit together to be a good witness that Christ is it, Christ is the foundation, but also realizing sometimes we, we find ourselves in disagreements, right? I mean... I feel like I'll use the example of Miko and my brother, <laughs> for example. They're always having theological debates, always. It always, we're watching basketball, it always devolves into, well, what do you think about this in the Old Testament? You know, and it's great, but, but you know, <laughs> if it ever got to a point where there, you know, someone says something offensive, we've got to take Paul's example, going back to, Verse 5, brothers, I did not realize this was a high priest. I didn't realize that offended you. I didn't realize that. I'm so sorry. Let's ask the Lord. How do we go forward? I want to be respectful towards you. I'm not, I'm not going to let this disagreement break our relationship. Like our relationship is far more valuable than any disagreement we may have. And we need to start valuing, valuing each other. <laughs> Valuing our differences, what makes us unique, our opinions, because we all have opinions. Some of us may be more vocal about them, but we all have opinions. And we need to, <laughs> we need to value that. 
because we're brothers and sisters, you know? Like we're all a part of the same family. I hate when my, when my kids fight. <laughs> I hate it, other than it being annoying. Um, they can be loud. Solomon's been in this competition. I got it first. I tied my shoes first. I got breakfast first. Which causes this whole descent with Moses, especially there. <laughs> you know, where he's, oh my God, I want to be first. You know, I hate when I see that. I hate hearing that. It's the same with God. He's like, why are you guys fighting? Why are you fighting over stuff that doesn't matter? It doesn't matter if you tied your shoes first. Are you listening to me? That's something we say, look at me, listen to me. Listen to what I'm saying. You, my, my phrase with Solomon right now, you take, Solomon, take care of Solomon. That's a full-time job. Our job, take care. <laughs> you stay in your own lane. Stop looking over and seeing where other people are. Our job is to look to Christ, the head, right? For, was it, for, um, from all things, I've messed up the verse, huh? Yeah, from and to all things, right? That's our job. And the more that we do that, the more, okay, so if we are trying to get to a place as a unit, and we're like looking over, you know, like what are they doing, what are they doing? Like that's gonna trip you up. That's gonna trip you up. But if we're all, just like when Jesus was born, everyone's looking at a star. Like we're all, we're not gonna trip if we're all like that's where I'm going. I know where I'm going. That's how it is, that's how I'm seeing it, how we need to be looking at Jesus. We're not looking to the right or left. And it's, it's like, it's counterintuitive. The way, <laughs> the way we're gonna move as a unit is looking up at him, not looking at each other, not saying, oh, you're walking weird to the star. Oh, you're walking wrong. You're wearing the wrong clothes to the star. Everybody should have had these tabbed out. I'll know better. I really want to use my physical Bible, you guys. Okay, going back. There is one body, one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called Jesus, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. There's my verse. <laughs> He's everything. He's what we need to be looking for and going for. And that's how, that's how we move as a unit. That's how we keep our unity is by keeping our eyes on him, not each other. We'll get tripped up and jacked up if we're looking at each other. It doesn't matter. We can help, you know, we can come alongside, but it's, you're, it's like you're coming alongside and going, look up, look up. Don't look at me. Look up. This, I, that's who I'm following. <laughs> We're all, we're all called to be imitators of Christ. That's going to look different for all of us because we're not the same. You know, when, uh, I remember there was a season where Ezra was like putting on a voice, I'm daddy, you know. <laughs> the way he imitates, you know, I forget. You remember this? This was a couple months ago. Anyway, it was really cute. He's like, I'm daddy and I do, I'm wearing my work shoes or whatever. And the way that Ezra imitates daddy 
is different than when Moses puts on his shoes. I'm daddy. You know, he might have a different voice or whatever. Same with us. When we're imitating Christ, like it's going to look different. And we shouldn't get caught up in the ways that it looks different. This is kind of taking a different bent than what I originally intended, but the Lord intended different. (laughs) So, in looking at Paul's example, a couple things that really, like, are landmarks for me are when there's a a disagreement or a um, misunderstanding, be quick, be quick. I'm sorry, I did not mean to offend you. My goal here is relationship and community and to come back to Christ. You are worth more than a disagreement. This relationship as you as a brother and sister in Christ is more important than a disagreement. When there's a dissension or a disagreement, don't let it, don't go down that path because that path only leads to death and destruction for you and others. And if there is a disagreement, ask the Lord how to delicately uh, find the path back to relationship. So, Father, thank you, thank you for teaching us how to walk in greater unity, greater unity with you and greater unity with our brothers and sisters. Father, I pray that you highlight the ways in our life or the the places in our life where we're walking in disunity and disagreement and uh, discord with our brothers and sisters. Show us the places that we're walking apart from you, that we're not unified with you, Father. Bring us back to you. Help us to keep our eyes on you and you alone, knowing that when we do that, everything else will fall into place. Help us to remember let, Help us to remember that you are the main thing. Keep the main thing the main thing. You are the main thing. You are the only thing. Show us the ways and the places and the people that we need to make things right with. Give us the discernment to know what to say, what to do, what to give. Father, I ask that you take away any pride that would say, nope, can't talk to them. They've hurt me too much. Our disagreements are too deep. We know that you're in it, Father. We know that your love reaches everywhere. There's nowhere we can go where we escape your love. There's nowhere we go where we escape your your wisdom, your peace, your discernment. Father, I pray for a greater sense of community and unity in this place right now today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. I pray for hearts to be uh, drawn towards each other, almost like we're magnetic, like we can't help it, Lord. Help us to just 
love each other in a greater, deeper way. Help us to love like you love, without, uh, without rules, regulations, and, and expect, you know, rules and expectations, Father, that we can just love. Help us as we walk these things out and help us to hear your voice clearly into the places that you are calling us to in this time. I just want to um, contextualize this a little bit because you even said it that took a different bent and I, and I feel like um, unity is super important and it's super important because the move that we believe is coming and I do, I think there's a move of God coming it's going to be a soul winning move I was telling Alyssa um, yesterday I was like this isn't another renewal this is a revival Okay, souls are going to come into the kingdom. When we are unified in Christ is when we're best set up to do that. You talked about it a little bit, you know, and I, a couple weeks ago I talked about, Paul says, don't bring your brother to court. Because when you do that, it says it brings shame on God and it brings shame on you. When we air our disagreements publicly as Christians, we bring shame on God. We damage the witness we have. Because the world goes, wait, why? You're just like us. Where's the difference? And that's, what, well, that's why unity is such, it's the weakest form of unity. Because the minute I disagree, I have to break fellowship. And that's what happened the last couple years, it was this great reshuffling of the church and people left and broke fellowship over disagreement about things that were not important. And I'm telling you, if we want to see a move, we need to be unified and that unity is in Christ. That I don't care that you might have voted a certain way. Do you love Christ? I do too. Let's work together. <laughs> we get so focused on ourselves and right here I was telling so you know why God sent renewal in 95 he sent renewal in 95 for 2023 he sent renewal because he said I need to remind my church of some things and can I tell you something? Renewal didn't just hit charismatic churches. The things that God reminded us about in renewal, uh, evangelical churches are speaking about right now. They're talking about right now. It is going through Christianity. Why? I was telling Lisa, for me, the greatest thing that came out of renewal was a rejection of religion and an understanding that God is a good God. Two greatest things that came out. And you know what? For a while there, it just seemed like the charismatics, it was our party. But I'm hearing more and more in the evangelical world 
The understanding that it's not about rules. Get rid of your, your religion and get into relationship. I'm hearing more and more that God is a good God who loves you. And I said, do you know why God poured that out in 95? He poured that out in 95 because he knew that there was going to be a massive generation called millennials. And right behind them, there was going to be a massive generation called Generation Z that was going to get love twisted that was going to get love messed up and we needed a message that wasn't here's some more rules we needed a message that said here's a relationship here's an encounter with jesus the one who loves you more than anyone else but do you know what's getting in the way we want to argue with them we want to argue about abortion we want to argue about homosexuality we want to argue about transgenderism you know what god is saying i have a standard don't get me wrong but i don't care about that right now because what i want is a relationship when i get them in my relationship then i'll start talking to them about all of that stuff church get over it this is <laughs> this is what i'm talking about the unity of Christ, not the unity that we agree that these are bad and that you need to agree these are bad. No, you need to agree on Christ and God, God will take care of it. And when we start airing our grievances, when we start making it about what we disagree with your lifestyle about, we bring shame onto God and we bring shame onto ourselves and we damage our witness, trust me, more and more people in my life are coming out as transgender. More and more people in my life are coming out as homosexual, and I'm hearing what they're saying, and I'm hearing their perspective of the church. And I'm going, that's not the church. That's not my God, and I'm getting upset. And then I'm getting upset when I see churches perpetrate it. And that's why this is important. <laughs> we need an encounter not an experience. I don't want to get tickled by God. I want to meet him face to face. Amen? Amen. If you guys want an encounter, just stand up. Because it's an invitation that's always open. Tickling is fun. It's great. Experiences are fun, but encounters are the things that change our lives. Encounter changed Paul, literally. It changed Saul into Paul. It changed us from sinners into righteous. But it's a continuing encounter that we need to set us up to help other people. So just any posture you have of receiving, I invite you. Father, Holy Spirit, Jesus, encounter us encounter us we want to encounter you we don't want an experience that we get up and we're not different we want an encounter that we are changed that we are changed so we invite you ambush us that's what you did for saul we ask you to do that for us ambush us on the road of life. Give us that encounter that changes 